afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sensor Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack, and alongside me, as always, is Luke Smith. And it's good to be back. Um, we've been gearing up for the upcoming season over the past few weeks, and now that Notre Dame's preseason camp is almost underway here, we're excited to be back on the mics to talk some ball. Um, we're going to catch up on everything that's happened over the past couple of weeks around the program, which has honestly been kind of a lot for July, um, including the reveal of Notre Dame Shamrock Series Unis, some updates on the recruiting trail, both good and bad. Uh, before we dive into this year's team and discuss how we're feeling about the Irish as they get set to open their fall camp, even though it's in August, we call it fall camp uh, on Friday, August 5th. Then we'll wrap up the show by answering a few fan submitted questions. We always appreciate it when you guys send them in. So thank you to everyone who did. Uh, but first, Luke and I have a little show announcement. Yeah, we do have an announcement. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now. So if you're watching this on YouTube right now, uh, you're probably looking at my face. Sorry about that. But um, we'll be posting all of our episodes on that channel moving forward. So with that said, please subscribe to it or just don't listen to the show. Uh, we just <laughs> That's really you know kind of what we're going to be pushing moving forward. So we'll obviously still release this on other platforms, but just subscribe or, or lose my number. Yeah, we're going to still post this on Apple, on Spotify, everywhere. But now... Yeah, if you want to see our face, I'm, and now you can see where we record these. Uh, I'm currently in my roommate's, he calls it an office. It's literally his closet. I don't have enough space in my room for a desk. So that the pleasant background, Luke, where are you at? Yeah, this is my room. I, I moved like two weeks ago. So my room's pretty big now, but uh, it's like 90 degrees today. The AC doesn't work that well. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of hot. So if you start to see some sweat pouring down, that's why. It's a little bit gross out. Podcasting in the elements. Um, yeah. All right, let's start off with the Shamrock Series uniforms. Um, Notre Dame revealed the uniforms it will be wearing for this year's Shamrock Series game against BYU in Las Vegas. They did the video, uh, a knockoff from The Hangover. I'm sure you've seen it by now with Marcus Freeman, Isaiah Foskey, Michael Mayer, uh, and the Golics, Michael Golick Jr., Michael Golick Sr. I thought it was really funny. Um, the acting from uh, Foskey and Mayer was a little rough at the very beginning, but I actually think they kind of got in their comfort zone. It got much better as it went on. So what are your early impressions of the video and also the uniforms themselves? Um, I want to know who paid for that, uh, to be honest, because like that was some pretty high production value, yeah. regardless of what you thought about the acting. Uh, also, I don't know who this booster is that's just given Freeman these really nice cars to drive around, but... Whoever he is, like that seems to be a thing. I'd be between the Ferrari and whatever he was driving in that. Um, the uniforms, they 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 look fine. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think there's some weird patterns. The lettering that's Vegas script, I don't really like. They kind of remind me of the Notre Dame 
white basketball jerseys, um, and that would be just classic Under Armour, just ripping off something they already did, so they don't have to produce anything more. We got to get out of that deal. But <laughs> as these uniforms go, they're not that bad. So that's the nicest way of saying they're okay. They don't suck. I like the all white and the gold. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that part. I like that they kept the helmets normal. Um, whenever they mess with the helmet, I I've not liked a single one of the alternate helmets. Um, so that was all good, but you're right. What is up with Under Armour in this weird, like pattern? Garbage company. That's what's up with them. (laughs) I don't know what, like it's, it's the same when the baseball uniforms, it's the same on the basketball uniforms. And I love when they put out that information, like this mark, it represents like 1842 and the original yeah. Golden Dome fire. Like they you know what no those one patterns cares. look like? It looks like the third grader that's bored in class and starts like drawing like the backwards Superman S's yeah. in his notebook. Like they're just just stupid patterns. So that's a shot at under. <laughs> anyways, they're so committed to them. Other than that, yeah, I like the all whites. Um, how would you compare it to other Shamrock Series uniforms? Because I think that you know, even though it's not the best one, I think it's still like probably top three. Yeah, that's not really a good thing, though. Um, <laughs> We've had some bad ones. The one that I saw today that I, I was repulsed, the gr- like the the olive green ones we wore against uh, Army, Army in San Antonio. Yeah, I think that yeah, was in I don't think I even. Yeah, I, I don't even remember watching that game. Um, <laughs> it's like one of the was, one of the four games he won that year in 2016. I, yeah, I, I think it was on in the background. I was at the Iowa-Michigan game in Iowa City. Um, but, yeah, the only ones that I really liked were the 2013 ones in, in Jerry World. Like, outside of that, I mean, my reaction to the Yankee Stadium ones was strong. Um, I, I wanted everybody at Under Armour fired that day because those were pitiful. And they did look slightly better in person, but they were still pitiful. I thought last year was stupid. Um, I thought they lied about their explanation with the whole city of broad shoulders thing. And really, they just looked like a ripoff of the Packers jerseys that they were going to wear the year yeah, before. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, I didn't like the ones they wore at Soldier Field. I just thought they were kind of ugly. Uh, in 2012, that is. The monster ones, like, the, I just, they were whatever. The jersey was cool, everything yeah. else. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, but I, I'm, started, I'm sorry if I'm coming off wrong, but I just have not liked anything the Rovers <laughs> put out. The thing is, though, Notre Dame's uniforms, I like them so much. Like, the classics, that whenever mm-hmm. they tinker with them, they never really – They've never once looked even at close to as good as the normal ones look. That's true. Um, honestly, I think I almost like our just white away uniforms more than the home uniforms. Uh, I don't know why that is, but I do. So it's the white uh, and sometimes gold. I just wish, yeah, I, I just think it looks good. It looks it looks clean. So no reason to, to break a good thing, but yeah, they do it every now and then, <laughs> one time a year. All right, let's move to some recruiting news. We'll move on this pretty quick. Do you want the bad news or the good news first? Well, it depends on what you believe. Okay. Let's go with the less than good news. So this past weekend, uh, five-star defensive end slash outside linebacker, Keon Keeley, a Notre Dame commit, took an unofficial visit to Alabama. Uh, there's already reports out there saying that he might flip or maybe he already has silently flipped. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Plus, four-star safety, five-star, if you look at it on three, Peyton Bowen. He's visited Texas A&M and Oklahoma multiple times over the summer. Uh, he, his little brother is also being recruited. I believe he's a rising sophomore or junior. So he's sort of tagging along with him on these visits. Uh, but the reports coming out of this are not great. Notre Dame doesn't, even though that both of these guys are committed to Notre Dame, it seems like Notre Dame is on the back burner now, depending on who you want to believe. And 
it, it it sucks. Like it's just a really weird time. And no matter which way you flip it, like it's just not good for Notre Dame at all, because these are their top two recruits in the entire class. And like, there's been all this pop, there's been all this circumstance about how good Notre Dame recruiting is right now. But if they lose these two guys, like, I mean, what, how, how good is this class? Is it that much better than what we've seen in years past? Probably not. Um, but like, I'm not so convinced that's going to happen. Um, there's still a lot of time left. Obviously, everything that's being reported nationally is not that great right now. Um, but these guys have, have to churn out stuff to write stories anyways, right? They got to get paid somehow. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And frankly, this is why I don't like following recruiting because it's weird to get invested in where a 17-year-old might go to college. Uh, and, and that's really like the only thing I'll add is that I think Keon Keeley might be the best player in the country in that class, so losing him would really suck, as would losing Peyton Bowen. Um, but just don't don't care that much. Like, just get over it. You know, it's they're high schoolers. Let them make their own decision. If you're tweeting at recruits, get a fucking life. Get a fucking <laughs> life. Like, some of the shit I have seen the last two weeks is truly pathetic. Like, and I don't know if people just have are just like something is just not wired right up there, but. It is pathetic. Grown ass men tweeting <laughs> at seventeen year olds. Like what the fuck? Is and their moms. So, and their yeah. moms. Like the guy that says he DMs Keon Keeley's mom every day. You have some fucking issues, pal. <laughs> All right, we're starting off strong here. Yeah, I. The funniest thing about that is when these fans tweet at recruits. Do they really think like, hold on, I've got it, guys. I know the secret message to say to Keon Keeley that's going to like prevent him from flipping. I'm sure Nick Saban is calling him the greatest football coach probably ever, but no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I, I, I just don't know. It's truly remarkable to me. Like day after day, I'm just blown away by the stupidity on display on that. Outside <laughs> that is Twitter. Um, and like, it just that is one of the entertaining things. You have competing idiots from different teams and just That's getting true. into fights with each other. <laughs> like it's like, wow, it's just a town hall full of morons <laughs> on this site. Um anyways, if any of you are listening to this show, it's probably not the show for you because like I don't respect you. Um when you know it's funny too, is like we have when this happens, right, people get really upset about the fact that someone who is verbally committed to Notre Dame is visiting and looking at other schools, which I understand. Like, it's annoying. It's a little bit weird. Um, uh, Brent Venables, the coach at Oklahoma, he went on a big rant about this recently, about how he tells guys who I guess are prepared to commit to Oklahoma, don't do it. Um, and he went on this long like Rand just complaining about how guys who are committed go on visits, which I understand. Like if you're a college football coach, I, if a guy commits to my school, I would want him to not visit and be, you know, stay true to his commitment. But that same coach is the one who's actively trying to poach Peyton Bowen. One of them. at right. least. Like, so it goes both ways here. And then from the other perspective here, Notre Dame uh, is actively, well, I guess they already sort of forced a decommitment from the four-star running back, Dylan Edwards. He was co- uh, committed to Kansas State. Notre Dame offers him a scholarship. They start moving on him pretty quickly. He immediately uh, decommits from Kansas State, visits Notre Dame, and he's set to make his commitment public on August 5th, on August 6th. And every by all indications, he's going to go to Notre Dame. So you can't get mad when Notre Dame's verbal commits are looking elsewhere, when we're doing the same thing, it's not a Notre Dame problem. It's just a college football program. It's or a college football problem. It's just sort of the nature of the business. And again, which is why 
you know, when you're really following recruiting, I get it. You have to do it because championships are won on the recruiting trail. That's been evident by what Georgia and Alabama and those schools have done in recent years. But man, it is a trip and it is not really a super fun roller coaster ride to be on. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame's trying to do it with the, the pit commitment, Kenny Minchie right now. Yeah, their quarterback. Which, which this is probably the one time I would actually actively support that <laughs> because anything that'll set Narduzzi off would yeah. be fantastic. But yeah, I, I honestly, I wish Notre Dame didn't recruit committed players. Like they, they just shouldn't. Like, we have a problem with the dictionary. You don't get what committed means, clearly. Like that I'm sorry, like that's like you telling your girlfriend, like, yeah, we're dating, but like I'm gonna go out with this other girl too. Like just, just to be but sure. it's fine. Like nothing's gonna happen. We're just getting dinner together. Like it's bullshit. Yeah. That's what it is. And like and frankly, it's bad guidance. It's just a bad culture. Like it's I, I don't like it. That's the one thing I will criticize about recruiting is that if you're committed, you're not going anywhere else. Like the the clown Novasad that recommitted to a school <laughs> that he was already committed that to. Was so like, funny. What what is that? Like what come on, dude. Just who who's telling you to do that? Yeah. Announcing your commitment to the school that you're already committed to is just a galaxy brain yeah. move. Um yeah. okay, so last thing on recruiting. Since our last show, five star quarterback Dante Moore committed to Oregon. So this is all news. Um, but we haven't addressed it on the show yet. Um but the real the real thing I want to talk about here is not so much his commitment, because uh, once things started to fall apart with Notre Dame and it became clear that Notre Dame really wasn't an option for him anymore, Oregon was the favorite. And that's where he's going. So good for him. Um, the the real story, I think, here is the reporting on his commitment, because uh, it's been all over the place and it was all over the place as soon as he, d- he made that announcement that he's going to Oregon, because you've got. uh Guys like Tom Loy from Irish Illustrated, who's super good at his job, very plugged in. He wrote this long thousand word piece saying NIL was not a factor at all in Dante Moore's decision. Meanwhile, Pete Sampson from The Athletic, friend of the program, said it was the determining factor and that it became more of a priority later on in the crip, uh, in the recruiting process with him. So just a super weird recruitment overall. Maybe five, 10 years down the road, we'll get the oral history about what exactly went down and how everyone at Notre Dame thought he was going there without a doubt. And then it just like literally all fell apart in the matter of weeks. And now he's ending up at Oregon, which at one point in his recruitment, there was no chance he was leaving the Midwest. And then he's now he's going to Eugene. So just super strange, but we had to address it because we had addressed Dante Moore so many times in the past. And now that he's actually committed, just one last time before we just plug it and put it away for good. Yeah, that actually reminds me. I completely forgot about this until right now. I actually had a, a super, super bizarre dream last night um, that myself and somebody else in the Notre Dame media space, I'm not going to name them, um, who I've never met before, <laughs> we were in an office uh, like trying to be bag droppers for Bryce Young to transfer from <laughs> Alabama to Notre Dame. And we had a green Lamborghini for him. I, I I just completely forgot about this. This was last night. Again, never met this other guy in the space. I'm not going to name him. But uh, that was a weird dream I had. So I, I guess I'm thinking about NIL at night these nights or something. But Bryce Young to Notre Dame confirmed, I guess. I can't even imagine the amount of money it would take <laughs> yeah, I don't to know. get. Okay. Um the good news is for Notre Dame, by the time you're listening to this, uh, four-star linebacker Jane Osbury, he's going to announce his decision on Thursday, August 4th. Uh, he's probably going to be committed to Notre Dame by the time you're listening to this. And uh, three-star safety Ben Minich, or is it Minich? I don't know. Anyway, he's going to make his commitment public on Friday. 
Uh, he doesn't have nearly the same star power that a lot of these guys have. Um, and Notre Dame moved on him pretty quickly. They've been trying to add a fifth defensive back, regardless of what Peyton Bowen does, and it looks like they'll get him. So, look, that we've talked a lot about recruiting uh, over the past summer. It's been all the rage ever since Marcus Freeman came on board, and for good reason. But now, fall camp is here. We can talk about actual football with guys who currently play for Notre Dame, who wear, who will wear the blue and gold this season. And I'm I'm very excited. This is always a great time of year. You can kind of smell football in the air as summer comes to a close. But what's your mood about this team and this season as campus is about to start? It's pretty good. Uh, I, I it's pretty good. Uh, they haven't had a schedule like this in a while, but I don't really see any reason why there should be significant drop off. Yeah, you have a first-time head coach, first-time quarterback. Uh, yeah, there's a difficult schedule, but like program health's at a quarter-century high. It's not the program Brian Kelly, Charlie Weiss, Tyrone Willingham inherited. There shouldn't be a drop-off, and, and I fully anticipate the floor being 10 wins. I, I think it's going to take a while for USC to get there again. I don't know why there's so much money on them to win the title right now. Um, it's good to have expectations when you're on the roll Notre Dame's been on. So I, I'm not going to just like – you know, there's there seems to sort of be this sentiment that, oh well, you know, there there could be some missteps this year. Why? They why would there be? They they've won at an elite rate the last five years. Okay, guy that you know hasn't been around. Um, I'm sorry, the guy that has been around is no longer around. But it seems like the structure's in place. Like I I just I struggle to see them having a drop off this year. I'm not gonna like just anybody who's thrown out they could win eight nine games. I just I just don't really see it. I would just counter that by saying if the team is at full health and like something drastic doesn't happen, then yeah, I would agree with you that the floor here is 10 wins. I think Notre Dame is definitely capable of going 10 and two. Um, For me, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm like, I'm obviously excited for the season. There's going to be some tough games where Notre Dame will get a chance to show like where they're at. And like it's certain position groups. I feel really good, but um, I'm just, I'm not gonna lie. I'm really nervous, uh, that Notre Dame is just a couple injuries away from things potentially going really off the rails, particularly at the skill positions on offense. They have three healthy scholarship running backs, including one true freshman in pain who he barely played in high school the last two seasons because he was dealing with injuries and that we we've talked about the receiver issue for like for a long time. So I guess I'm just a little bit worried about the depth there. Like if a guy, if Mayer goes down or if like Lorenzo Styles goes down, that that obviously concerns me. But I agree. Like the expectation for Notre Dame to just take a step back with no real added influence, um, that doesn't really make sense to me. Because you're right. Like the defense should be really strong. The offensive line should be really good. And even though, yeah, like potentially like playing Ohio State in the season opener is a really, really tall task. But there's like six automatic wins on the schedule, at least, really. And, yeah. and then, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains a little bit, probably with Marcus Freeman and Tyler Buckner as well. We'll probably see a couple boneheaded interceptions this year that we haven't seen really in years past because we've had a veteran starting quarterback since 2018, no, 2017. 2019 really i mean did you but did you see the pick that jack cohen threw against cincinnati last year that was pretty bonehead <laughs> that's true maybe uh, i'm saying there'll be a few more of those this year 
Um, okay. But I agree. I'm just excited, man, because you're right. The schedule is great. Like, it's going to be fun to play in some really good games. So Ohio State to start the season is awesome. And then the BYU game should be really good. Clemson coming to South Bend again this year is going to be really, really fun. The best home game this year by far. Uh, and, yeah, USC to wrap up the regular season is going to be great. They've got Caleb Williams. They've got Jordan Addison. It's going to be here in Los Angeles. And I'm really, really excited about the opportunity for Notre Dame to shut them up because don't get me wrong. I think they're definitely heading the right direction. They're going to be really good here soon, but them being uh, a contender for the national championship this, this year seems way too premature. So yeah, I'm excited about the games. I'm excited about the caliber of the opponents. Um, But you got to admit like a couple things go wrong. A couple guys get hurt and Notre Dame might be in some trouble. I mean, you said basically if our best player gets hurt, yeah, that would change. <laughs> like, I mean, but not just I him. don't expect that to happen. I don't expect that to happen. I, I just know you can't think like that. Like going into camp, I'm not thinking about how somebody's going to get a horrific injury and we're going to lose him for the year. Yeah. Maybe that's just the way my mind oper- operates. I'm it not is. really a beacon of optimism, but yeah, I worry about injuries. Um, but you're right. I think at the very least, this team should go nine and three. What What's the over under at eight and a half? Uh, I think on most yeah, books, I, I think eight and a half or nine and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds right. Okay. That's fair. Now, obviously the engine behind all of this and really uh, probably the difference maker in this is particularly on the offense, but you could argue the entire team is Tyler Buckner. And it's kind of crazy that we're finally here with TB12 because the hype around him started back in March of 2019 when he committed. And that feels like an eternity ago, eternity ago. And maybe that's why expectations for him have simmered just because it's been so long and he's, he hasn't had a ton of game action. So what are your expectations specifically for Buckner this season? He's going to be a stud. Um, it seems like everybody's forgotten about him, but he was a really big deal when he came in and he's done nothing to make, people to have made people think otherwise like as he was pretty pretty good when he got in last year honestly I think it was a pretty large note that he played as much as he did as a freshman when you look at some of the past Notre Dame quarterbacks who haven't gotten that experience I I don't see any reason why not to expect him to live up to the billing that he came in with um it's, by the way, I would really recommend reading Tyler Horka's piece that he wrote on him the other day at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Kind of goes into what makes him tick. I, I thought it was a really good piece. Kind of talked to some people from his high school, including former Notre Dame All American Shane Walton. So definitely check that out if you are uh, subscribed to Blue and Gold. But um, I don't know. Like I just I see no reason why he can't be a stud, and that's what I'm expecting from him. Uh, the only thing that I guess might you know hold back on that is just the the receivers that he's throwing to uh but that said I, I think that's a pretty capable group still and if he's as good as we think he is he'll make them better too I agree all right I'm gonna give you a couple numbers here on Tyler Buckner I want you to give me like over or under this is sort of what I'm predicting assuming he stays fully healthy all season 2,750 pass yards and 25 pass TDs is that about what you would predict um, that sounds fair. What did Cohen throw for last year? Like 27 TDs? Just a hair over 3,000. Okay. I, I think that includes the bowl game, though. Okay, yeah. Okay, so uh, I think he'll throw eight picks. Um, e- sure, sure. If we think he's going to take some risks. I, I, I feel like we haven't had a guy throw eight picks in a while. Last year, Cohen threw seven 25 okay. TDs. 
Uh, but Buckner also threw three, and Pine threw two. So right at 30 passing touchdowns last year. Now, running the ball, I think 650 rushing yards and 10 TDs would be a like that that's very possible for Buckner this season. It's not necessarily yeah. it's not necessarily branded Wimbush numbers because in 2017 he's our second leading rusher with like 850 rushing yards and 14 yeah, touchdowns. He, he could not throw the ball. Yeah. So hopefully with Buckner, he doesn't have to run as much, but the fact that they're going to be running that quad option so much more than we've seen in recent years. I think that like you're right. The receivers he's throwing to are going to have a big say in all of this. But uh, to ground that out, twenty-seven or 2,750 passing yards, 25 pass cities, 8 interceptions, 650 rushing yards, and 10 rush cities. I think that's a very – it's very much within the realm of possibility for Buckner. And if that happens, I think Notre Dame's offense is going to be in a great place. I agree. So, no, I, I, I mean – and honestly, I might even go higher on some of those. Yeah. Uh, especially passing TDs. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I brought it up. You talked about it. You know, I know it's been a theme. It's been talked about a lot. How concerned are you about the depth at running back and wide receiver? I mean, I've already talked about it a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty concerned um, just because we've seen these these videos of Logan Diggs, and they are certainly encouraging, but it's a there's a big difference between, you know, running drills on air with no pads and, like, lowering your shoulder into a yoga ball it, compared to, like, getting tackled by an Ohio state defender like that, that I don't think he's going to be playing. So again, so Ohio state, we're trotting out Chris Tyree, who's dealt with injury problems in the past, Audrey Estime and Jaron Payne. Um, because I mean, unfortunately, Jadarian price ruptured his Achilles tendon. He came into this, uh, summer workouts. There's a ton of hype around him. He looked really good in the spring. Probably would have gotten more touches than Logan Diggs did last year as a true freshman. So that part is concerning, but the f- fact that they have, Tyler Buckner back there to take some of the load off the running backs as a runner uh, should be really good for that group. And then you could split Tyree into the slot. He showed he can be really effective as a pass catcher in that Fiesta Bowl. But we'll see. With If Lorenzo Styles makes the jump that we all think he's capable of doing, then the fact, you know, right now Notre Dame doesn't have a one at wide receiver just because we haven't really seen it yet. But that doesn't mean that Lorenzo Styles can't be that guy. Like, I know this might be. Uh, a bit of a reach, but look at Will Fuller's stats between his freshman year and his sophomore year. Like freshman year, he played here and there, not that much. I think he had a couple of TDs, and then his sophomore year, I think he had 14 touchdowns or something like that. Will Lorenzo Styles be as good as Will Fuller in his sophomore year? I don't know, but we already saw a lot more in his freshman year than we saw from Will Fuller. So I don't see why he couldn't have a huge year, and if that's the case, if he's as good as we think he is, um, then my concerns at receiver will be a little bit less. But We'll see with Braden Lindsay. I don't expect to see Joe Wilkins maybe at all. Unfortunately, really bummer for him because he's just these past few years when he's finally had an opportunity to play, he's just been dealing with injuries. Uh, the good thing is for all of this is that they have the best tight end in the country in Michael Mayer. So, like these concerns are real, but hopefully, when you have a guy like Mayer, he's able to erase a lot of those. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm honestly not as concerned at running back. Like I think Diggs will be back pretty early in the year, to be honest. Uh, just because the whole labrum thing has actually not made... Like, I know people who have had labrum surgeries. That's a really long process, and it just doesn't really seem like... He even had, like, a brace on. Like, I, I just feel like that's... It's very surprising to me how quickly he seems to be going through this. Um, and I think that Chris Tyree is very good, and I think Estime is going to be very solid. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about that. 
I am sort of concerned about receiver. Um, the only worries I really do have about depth bring me back to the Fiesta Bowl last year where we threw the ball 70 times because we couldn't run it and our core of five receivers were gassed by the fourth quarter. Um, I, I hope we don't have to resort to that this year because we don't have enough healthy backs to run the ball. Um, but I, I, the receiver thing worries me a little bit more um, than the running back, but I don't know. Uh, I just try not to dwell on these things because something will inevitably happen, and I can't do anything about it. So um, <laughs> so don't want to think about it. All right. I like that. Now, you mentioned the Fiesta Bowl and how Notre Dame basically just completely forfeited any chance of running the ball. Um, and that was in part because of Oklahoma State's defense. But that should not happen at all this year because the offensive line should be much, much improved. It's kind of funny when you think back to last year, too, considering how – the offensive line was by far the biggest weakness on the team. And we talked about it every week. Like, are they going to be able to do anything? Like they got pushed around by Toledo. And now a year later, like they're expected to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. Yeah. The hype is real with this group. And now a big part of that is obviously Blake Fisher uh, being healthy, Joe Alt getting more experience. And then obviously Harry, he stand coming on aboard the, probably the best offensive line coach in the country. So uh, there's a lot of hype. What are your realistic expectations for this group? I mean, I expect they should be good. But at the same time, I don't really know what to expect. Because let's face it, there was a stretch of six or seven games last year where they looked better. Um, but they didn't really play anybody in that whole stretch. And, and when they played good teams last year, they weren't very good as a group. Now, granted, that group didn't have Blake Fisher outside of two games. And... and Featured Jared Patterson at center instead of this year's expected starter, Zeke Carell, as Patterson will push to guard. What does that change look like? I, I don't know, but I'm eager to see. But I, I think just something important to keep in mind is that just because you bring back a lot of guys doesn't mean it's always a good thing. I don't want to lump us in with North Carolina. I was thinking that too. <laughs> remember how many people talk about North Carolina had all these returning starts and they were the worst fucking offensive line in the country last year. So it's just it's something to keep in mind. Now, don't aggregate that. I'm not comparing them <laughs> to North Carolina. But I'm just saying that jump doesn't always naturally happen. It should, given the Harry Heastan factor and everything, but it just doesn't always happen. Right. And another thing, too, about the offensive line is, like, this group, the way that it's going to be constructed, how we assume with Blake Fisher left Blake Fisher at left tackle, Jarrett Patterson at left guard, C. Carell at center, Presumably Josh Rugg at lifeguard. It could be Andrew Kostovich, but we'll see there. He played really well when he came in most of the time at left guard last year. Uh, and then at right tackle, oh, excuse me, Joe Walt's going to be left tackle. Blake Fisher is going to be right tackle. That group as a unit has never played together like that. Jared Patterson has never played guard. So it's going to be, I think that what we see at the beginning of the season with the offensive line is going to be a lot different compared to the end of the season. I think this is going to be a group that improves a bunch as the season goes on. But, yeah, don't be surprised if this group might experience a little bit of growing pains at the beginning as well. Even though there's a lot of experienced guys, it just takes some time. And we saw how much the offensive line improved from beginning to end last year. The jump is going to be even bigger. So by the end of the year, yeah, I think this could be you know one of the best offensive line groups in the country. But contending for the Joe Moore Award, just based on what we saw last year, I think that might be a little much. Yeah, I don't know. Um it it does seem like a little bit maybe too lofty, but then again, didn't Michigan win the Joe Moore Award last last year? They did. And they were and they were dog shit in the COVID year. So anything can happen. Sure. Um 
So I don't know. We'll see. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. Uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit before. We think, both think that Notre Dame's defensive line is probably the best position group on the team from top to bottom. They're loaded at the top with Isaiah Foskey, but they also have so much depth across the board there. So they're really, really talented. The linebackers behind him. I mean, Notre Dame could be starting three senior linebackers. That's awesome. And Marissa Leofile last year didn't play because he broke his leg in uh, fall camp. But the talk about him in, in camp last year was he was maybe the best player on the defense, would probably have led the team in tackle. So they get him back this year. They got J.D. Bertrand. They got Bo Bauer. They got Jack, Jack Kaiser. I feel like nationally this group isn't being talked about enough. Do you think Notre Dame's front seven is actually underrated? I don't know. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, it could be adequately rated. It's very deep. I still don't think it's quite Georgia or Clemson. But it's it's a group that can get you to the playoff doing their job. Uh, I believe that. I'm kind of interested to see what guys like J.D. Bertrand look like when they're not playing 10 million snaps with the broken arm. Yeah, and have, um, yeah I was so, going to say have both arms. So, yeah, I, I like it's an exciting group, um, and it's really close to being like, you know, a top two group in the country. I just don't think it's quite there. Um, and, and when you have groups that are as talented as a Georgia or a Clemson, you just get kind of overshadowed by that. But, you know, I, I think I'm fine with where I think they fall into the national scene. Um, but who knows? We'll see how the season goes. I think they're a little bit underrated nationally because I don't think a guy like Jason Adamiola is getting the respect that he deserves. And I get why Foskey sort of grabs all the attention physically – He's so overpowering. He's a freak. Last year, he was unbelievable. And, you know, he was the guy with Marcus Freeman as they did, like, the ESPN car wash and everything. And he could be a first-rounder this year. So I get why he gets all the attention. But Jason Adamiola was unstoppable in some games last year. So you have those two anchoring it. Plus, I think a lot of people are very bullish on Riley Mills as he steps in to be a starter. Uh, If he's as good as people think he is, uh, that just seems like a very dominant group. And when you have a defensive line that, that that's that good, and then you have three senior linebackers, it gives Al Golden, the new defensive coordinator, the opportunity to implement a little bit more complex schemes. They can disguise things a little bit differently, and they can wreak havoc on the quarterback. And, you know, we have some questions about the defensive backs, and we'll get to them in a second. But, like, if those front seven are as good as we think they are, it, it could be, like, I think that's definitely a playoff defense. And side note, I want to add, I think Jack Kaiser might be due for one of the biggest breakout years on the team. Uh, hmm. He had two touchdowns last season. And it's kind of... Yeah, thanks, thanks, Graham Mertz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were... And uh, what was the other one? Navy? Where just like... No, it was uh, Georgia Tech, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, Georgia Tech. Uh, two just terrible, terrible teams. Um, but he had two touchdowns, and he... He's athletically, he's deceptively athletic. We have to say that because he's a white linebacker, but he's actually tests out really high among all the other linebackers on the team. And he's going to be a starter this year. He doesn't really get talked about much, but all in all, I think that front seven is going to be, you're right. They might not be Georgia. They might not be Clemson, but I think putting them in the top 15 in the country is pretty adequate. Yeah. And if they can be disruptive enough to help the back, the the back end of that defense, and then that's great. But with that... There seems to be some questions around the defensive backfield, but who would you say of the defensive backs is most crucial to Notre Dame's success this season? Because I have an answer that I don't think a lot of people will have. Um, all right, so I'm going to say Brandon Joseph because, it, like, the comparisons to Kyle Hamilton are ridiculous. That's It's just not feasible. 
Um, but if he can be the sort of ball hawking safety that he showed he can be when he was at Northwestern, I think it's totally realistic for him to have seven interceptions this year. We just got done talking about how good the defensive line is going to be and how they're going to get after the quarterbacks and force them into making bad decisions. So who better to take advantage of those opportunities than Brandon Joseph roaming around the deep middle third? Um, we, we don't know who's going to be the safety opposite him. Like DJ Brown, I thought was actually underrated last year. It had, he had a really bad start to the season when he completely whiffed on that run against Florida state. And then he took it to the house, not a great start, but I thought when he came in after Hamilton went down, he actually was really solid. Now, You can make the argument that Notre Dame was playing shit teams, which I think is fair. Uh, A lot of times the the guys that Notre Dame was going up against weren't nearly as good as the guys that they're going to face this year, particularly in week one in C.J. Stroud. But I think he's going to be a lot better. Ramon Henderson could be good. Xavier Watts now, who actually has played the position for a year. All All those guys are going to be important, and Cam Hart as well. But like Brandon Joseph, if he's like getting picks left and right. And that's apparently what he did in spring ball. It's it changes the whole dynamic of the defense where now they're not just like creating stops, they're creating turnovers and could totally flip the game on one of those. Okay. Fair enough. Um, that's not my answer. Uh, my answer is Clarence Lewis. Uh, you know what you're getting with Brandon Joseph, what you just said, you know what you're getting with Cam Hart. He's a really good corner. I, I also, as you mentioned, think people are generally high on Ramon Henderson, they're excited about Xavier Watts and, and pretty pleased with D.J. Brown at safety, too. I mean, hell, Chris O'Leary was extending very high praise towards Tariq Bracey this past spring. I think he said something about how he could be the best nickel in the country. So um, the question is, can Clarence Lewis bounce back from a bad Fiesta Bowl and really somewhat of a sophomore slump in general and, and mirror what Cam Hart does on the other side of the field? If he can do that, then that's a really good secondary, a really good secondary, and I don't know if that, you know, I mean, I know that there's probably some thoughts that um, Jaden Mickey could take his spot. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see it that way. I I think I might see it as Jaden Mickey's going to play, but, like, it's a more positive thing. You have another guy in the rotation. You're spelling Clarence Lewis from time to time. Um, But I think a lot is going to hinge on how he bounces back. Uh, And I said this in January that it was going to be his redemption year, so I, I got to stick with that. So, uh, yeah, it's Clarence Lewis. Yeah, you've been the leader on the Clarence Lewis hype train. Well, I think it's because other people have not been as kind, so I, yeah. I'm staying on it. I haven't been kind since the moment he took the field as a cornerback named Clarence. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was pretty much out on Clarence Lewis because of his name, whether it's right or wrong. Look, like I said at the time, I expected Clarence to do my taxes, not to cover the deep third. But... If you're leading the hype train, I'm I'm inclined to believe you. And if he is really, if he does improve a lot, like it does, kind of change the entire dynamic of the secondary. Yeah, and who says he can't? Um, so I don't know. We'll see. All right, special teams, third of the game. Uh, Marcus Freeman has been pretty upfront regarding his concern yeah. about the kicking game, far more than anything else. He sort of dismisses the you know concerns about receiver which you know of course he's gonna do he's not gonna be like well shit guys you're right we are screwed at receiver like and then you know blamed alexander the guy that who that was his first move as a coach was to can him so i mean i'm sure there's real concern there because he did that and he's you know he wasn't born yesterday he knows he sees the same things we do if not a lot a lot more but the blue and gold game definitely did not do anything to help out those concerns about the kicking game. You know, Notre Dame has Josh Bryan. They recruited him. They added a transfer. 
from Arkansas State and Blake Groupie, uh, and they added a Harvard transfer at punter. People don't, I guess just with the Jonathan Dore, he's been around for a little bit, but when you don't have any idea what's going to happen with your kicker, it's not fun. And I think we've sort of forgotten about that. So how concerned are you about the kicking game? It's going to be bad. Um, (laughs) I've accepted that. Uh, It it also doesn't make me feel any better every time I see a new specialist being brought on the roster, like the transfers you mentioned. I think there were a couple others, too. Um, So I think they had a preferred walk-on. It's also just, yeah, the kid from Fenwick who's a caddy at the uh, country club a couple towns over also is now on the team. He plays soccer at Notre Dame. So it's a little concerning to me that we needed to bring on Blake Gruppy from Arkansas State and John Sott from Harvard with this highly touted as Josh Bryan and Bryce McPherson were coming out of high school. Now I know McPherson's a freshman, so whatever. Josh Bryan, what's your excuse? Uh, <laughs> J- Justin Yoon started kicking the day he got on campus. So here we are. I just don't think Gruppy has the chops. Uh, he's five foot nothing, a hundred foot nothing. Uh, sorry, I fucked that up. Five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and I don't think he, he can hang in with the best team in the land. I just don't. <laughs> he's on the uh, Lou Groza watch list. So yeah, who the? I mean, do you just like if you're on the depth chart, do you get added <laughs> I think to that? You do. Uh, I, I mean, I put you, I, you probably put Kyle Brins a second half of 2014 on that before I put Gruppy on it. So. Um, that's how poorly I, I just don't feel good about him at all. Yeah. You know, the nice thing about Dor is that uh, at least he was predictable. Like, I feel yeah, like he every time to make big kicks, <laughs> yeah. every he time he miss a lot of easy yeah. ones, but he trots out there for 48 yard game winning field he goal won. against Virginia I mean, Tech. He had two game winners last year. Yeah. And I was not worried at all. I, I no. knew he was going to bury it. Now, chip shot against uh, Oklahoma State in the first half of the Fiesta Bowl, yeah. no chance. Yeah. So yeah. at least we could take comfort in knowing exactly what was going to happen every single time yeah. Jonathan Dore took the field. I have no clue what to expect with any of these guys. Yeah, it's a little bit alarming. Um, I mean, Jay Bramlett also had the you know t- tackle that saved the – the end of the first half against Clemson on ETN in 2020. So his contributions will be missed as well uh, down in Baton Rouge. But yeah, I don't know. And listen, like I, I just don't, I don't like this, the the makeup of this grumpy guy as a kicker. I, I just, I just don't. <laughs> so this is just, so I've got a problem with a corner named Clarence and you've got a problem with any guy on the team who looks like that he could pass for a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Well, he can't hit long kicks, right? Like, his stats beyond 40 yards are, are pretty brutal. His stats are not good in general, but yeah. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go that far. He He's good inside 40, which okay. I guess we could... Yeah, I, yeah. We've talked about him enough. It's a big worry <laughs> to sum it up. It's a big worry. It's going to be, like, the first time he trots out there, I, I, I'm just guessing... That that ball will not even come close to the field goal. He's got to get his jitters out because he's coming from Arkansas. I will State. probably I will laugh the first time he lines up to kick at Ohio State. We're being just regardless of how it goes. Yeah, we're being hard on him, but I feel like it's just the first time any new kicker comes out. It's a really jarring experience. I know that he kicked it for several years in college at Arkansas State, but you know, kicking at Arkansas State is just a, a little bit different than yeah. kicking in the horseshoe on prime time and everyone in the college football world is watching you. No. Yeah. All right. Let's get to a couple fan submitted questions. All right. Our first one, shout out to Drew Brennan, 77 loyal listener. He's always on these questions. Um, okay. We've already talked about this a little bit uh, over under for L- Lorenzo styles this year. 
65 catches, 700 yards, nine and a half TDs. Under catches, over yards, over touchdowns. All right, I agree on under on catches, the last Notre receiver to eclipse 65 receptions uh, and nine and a half TDs in a season was Chase Claypool in 2019, and he had 66 and 13, so he barely eclipsed it. Now Michael Mayer had 71 catches last year, but he's a tight end, and I think he's going to have even more this year, so that makes it harder for a guy like Styles to get more than 65. Um, nine and a half TDs, that's going to be close, but I think he's just going to be here under. He should be well over yards. Like, Javon McKinley was over that uh, in 2020 in the last games. And Lorenzo Styles is way better than Javon McKinley. Like, I, he breaks a few open, which he showed he's got the speed to do. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he came close to 1,000. Hell, Kevin Austin had nearly 900 last season, and I think Lorenzo's probably better than Austin now. <laughs> Granted, it would be nice to have Austin. but So I'm going under, over, under. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next one from Pat Ball on Instagram. Any word on Logan Diggs? Will he be active for OSU? And how big of a difference will Harry Heastand make in year one? Yeah, so we talked about Diggs. I, I'm guessing end of September we should see him, and he'll probably have to ease into action. But if he's active for Ohio State, I'll, I'll be shocked. And how big of a difference will Harry Heastand make in year one? Um, difficult to project just how much like the line is going to improve just because Blake Fisher's healthy and Joe Alton, these guys are more experienced. Uh, but when you, w- the reports we've seen and the way that current offensive line have talked about Harry, he's and how important um, he's been grilling them on or how, how much of an emphasis he's put on technique. It, it seems like night and day compared to his predecessor, Jeff Quinn. So just from that standpoint alone, if their technique is a lot better and they got guys healthier, they're going to be a lot better. So I think, uh, it will make a big difference, but again, I'm not saying like they're going to be Joe Moore Award contenders just yet. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying on he stand. Um, I'm going to go out there. I I am not going to say Logan Dix is going to be active for Ohio State, but it would not shock me. Uh, his mom actually tweeted something yesterday suggesting he might be good to go too. She said it was she quote tweeted a video of him working out saying the million dollar question everyone's been asking. How's he doing since his surgery? He's been working. Is he ready for Ohio State, though? The answer is we'll see. Go Irish. Uh, I mean, the fact that it's even a question at this point is is remarkable to me. So, I don't know. Who knows? I, I, I think it's probably likely he'll be back before the North Carolina game at a minimum. But I wouldn't. I would not be shocked if we do see him out there week one. So we'll see. That'd be an incredible turnaround. If he's yeah, I mean, I but like I said, I was shocked like that like a month ago he didn't still have a sling on because every every I mean, granted everybody I know who tore their labrum was not a Division one athlete, but like everybody I have know like three or four people who did it and it was a long long recovery. Yeah. All right, this next one comes from Mark Wegesback. Which player has put on the most beef this off season? I think this is TBD uh, until Notre Dame releases its full roster at the start of camp because. Once we get that, then you can actually see the change in weight from spring practice to now. Uh, but we can guess. So who would you guess? I don't know. I I mean, I think the rumors are that Zeke Corral's pretty big these days. Uh, now, will he keep that weight on? I don't know because I think that's been an issue for him in the past. But that's probably the best guess. I was trying to think of somebody funny, um, but I realized like that we're so old now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He started. He started. He started drinking heavy after he heard this podcast. Like Rufy went from one forty to one fifty. Yeah, he's like Jesus. These guys fucking hate me. 
We don't. And I haven't even kicked. Don't believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not that we hate you. It's just that we have yeah. no faith in you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that simple. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say Z-Crawl, too, because of the same reasons. Like, Fuse basically forced himself into the starting lineup uh, at, at center, too. It's a position where you got to be a little bit beefy. Uh, it could be him. Uh, I'm also saying Jalen Sneed because he came in pretty thin, and I feel like the jump that okay. guys make when they're like their first full year in the college weight program is probably always going to be the most severe. Like when you're just locked in every day and you're you have sort of the guidance um, and just like every day what you're going through with Coach Bayless. I think he's like for in terms of just p- how many pounds he's put on since the time he got on campus till now. I probably say Jalen Sneed. All right. Okay. I, I like that. Um, next one comes from a uh, longtime listener, first-time caller, Michael Bonello. Is the 15.5-point spread against Ohio State disrespectful, or is it disrespectful? Okay, I'm going to say it's definitely disrespectful to a degree. I think it should be lower, probably under 14. But I'm not su- that surprised it's that high, just – given that like Ohio State is known commodities and C.J. Stroud and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, plus it's in Columbus. If it were in South Bend and we're in this point spread, then I would say that's super disrespectful. I'd probably be closer to 10. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a little bit disrespectful, but I guess, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess I can see why that – I can more realistically understand this spread than – uh, compared to 2019 when we went to Athens to play Georgia and the spread was like fucking 18 and a half by kick. And I thought that was insane based on how the two teams played a year before. So it's not quite that disrespectful. And we saw how that game turned out and Notre Dame had a chance to win in the last drive at the end. Um, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit less than that. See, I actually thought the Georgia spread made sense at the time because um, <laughs> we had the way we had started that. Year. That's but, true. The, after the Louisville game, I was probably like, you know what? That's astute. Yeah. Uh, it is disrespectful. And, and here's why. First off, never really gets talked about that Smith and Jigba's explosion in the Rose Bowl was against two running backs playing in the Utah secondary who had never played corner in college. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, additionally, Ohio State outside of the time they just murdered Michigan State, and I guess kind of the Purdue game, they looked, and at times were, in fact, very beatable last year. It didn't matter how many yards C.J. Stroud threw for. Yeah, I know Jim Knowles is there, but like, what's he going to be able to fix in one game? I don't know. Uh, there seems to be a bit of an anointing that's occurred here, and I just don't like that. Uh, additionally, Ohio State has stunk up the joint in these big non-conference games at home over the years. Since 2005, they're... One in five in marquee Power Five non-conference home games, losing to Texas in 2005, USC in 09, Virginia Tech in 2014, Oklahoma in 2017, and Oregon last year. Their lone win in these games came against Miami in 2010, who finished seven and six that year under Randy Shannon. Notre Dame constantly gets ripped for its poor performances in big bowl games that span some decades, unfortunately. <laughs> so I don't see why the same. Shouldn't be discussed with Ohio State's performance in the horseshoe against non-Big Ten Power 5 schools. That makes sense to me. Another thing that I feel like is not being talked about is this idea that, like, coming out week one, these teams are finished products. Like, if you watch most games in week one and even week two, they're pretty ugly. Like, even if there's a huge talent gap. We have not had a good, like, opener since the Texas game in 2015. Yeah. That's true. And, I mean, like, seriously, I, 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 I can't think of a of, – of, who did we play in 2017? 
um, to start this season. I guess, it was, I guess it was like Temple. Yeah. But like, whatever. That that yeah. doesn't count. Uh, but even like some of these, like we like 2020, Duke, that was bad. Yeah, 2019, Louisville, that was bad. Michigan 2018 is a little bit different. Um, but all, even that all, one yeah, got a little bit closer. All those yeah. games were sloppy. Both teams. Yeah. Like that, that Michigan team in 2018 was pretty good. And like they figured things out in the second half, but they came out just making dumb penalties, committing stupid mistakes. So they're most of the time in week one, these teams are playing below their talent level just because it's week one. Like – they haven't, you know, they had fall camp, but the first time you go up against an actual opponent, it's so much different than going against the guys who you see every single day in practice. So the idea that Ohio State is going to come out clicking on all cylinders, I think that's a little bit far-fetched, even if they have more talent, which I think they do. So, yes, Notre Dame might not be, like, a finished product, but neither is Ohio State. And even though it's at home, like, they could commit some dumb mistakes, too. They got some young guys on their team and some new guys that they're trying to implement. Um, so, yeah, from that aspect, that's a little bit disrespectful as well. Okay, uh, last one. This comes from Chris Janis. Of the following freshmen, rank most likely to have a TD versus Ohio State. Steve Angeli, Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Mickey, or Jabron Payne. Uh, let me just say right now, if Steve Angeli is playing in the Ohio State game, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Okay, he has a second question. Who is mo- most likely to have a Kyle Hamilton-like hype in uh, preseason camp? Okay, I'm going to say Jaden Mickey is most likely to score a touchdown for Ohio State, and that's on a punt return on the first drive of the game. Uh, I think there's been some chatter about him potentially returning punts, and if he's not doing it, then completely forget I ever said that, but there's definitely been some chatter about it, and that would be a pretty electric start. That's going to be Matt Salerno. There's no way they're putting a true freshman back there to return punts against Ohio State in the show, and his first game ever. That'd be crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know why they just don't have a lifelong like spot on the roster for John Goodman to just catch punts <laughs> if that's what we're going to do. So. John Goodman has unlimited yeah. eligibility. They're like, it yeah, doesn't I, matter. He literally is John, just... John, just come up here for September through October. We'll give you free rounds at Warren every day. You just got to catch the fucking punts. That's it. Like You don't got to do anything else. And then, Halo rule, yeah. you can't get hit. It's fine. Just catch the punts. John, you somehow have mastered the ability to fair catch every single punt. But we're going to throw a 55-yard bomb. You're going to one-hand it with three defenders, like, falling over you. They use a pro at that. Yeah, and 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 he, John's probably like, you know, I have kids now. I can't do that anymore, Coach. But, you know, it's, you, I don't care. You think Just John come, Goodman come is listening? We'll tag him in this. Um, yeah. Okay, you didn't answer the second part. Who's most likely to, most likely to have Kyle Hamilton-like hype in camp? Hmm. I'm going to say... So if if it's the same if it's the same list we're talking about, which I'll assume it is, but it might not be. I'll I guess I'll say Tobias Merriweather just because I feel like there's been a lot of I think there's been a lot general. of hype. Okay. Well I'll still yeah. answer it that way. Um because I feel like there's been a lot of hype around him already. And to be totally honest with you, some of it seems contrived to me or it's almost like people trying to speak it into existence yeah. because we need him to be good. Um so yeah, but I'll go with Merriweather. Okay. I think for me um, like I'm assuming that Chris is at like his freshman year when Kyle Hamilton came out and Pete Sampson tweeted like Kyle Hamilton had three interceptions in his first practice at Notre Dame. Yeah, I don't know if we're ever gonna get that uh to to that level, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if um uh Mickey just kept it going and like just forced himself onto the field. It seems like. I mean, Marcus Freeman like referenced him as one of the guys who's become a leader on the team. 
as a true yeah, freshman, crazy. early enrollee. That's nuts. And I know that he talks a lot of shit to the receivers, and that might get annoying at times. But the fact that the head coach is even mentioning him as a leader at that early, I think if he comes out and he just has an unbelievable camp and forces him on his way onto the field, like, look, no one is going to get the level of hype that Kyle Hamilton had his true freshman year. Like, what he was doing in camp and then the way that he delivered against Louisville in his first ever game and then his first ever play at Notre Dame Stadium, picking it off and returning it for a touchdown, that's that's not going to happen. But I think Mickey could actually have such a good camp that he basically forces he, – he, he outplays Clarence Lewis, who's been there. I know. I'm sorry. That's your guy. I don't mean to – interrupt the hype train on Clarence Lewis. But if he does something like that, or he, then he becomes a starting nickel over Tariq Bracey, I think that's the closest thing we're going to get. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, we've been going kind of long. <laughs> it's a lot of lot going on, dude. Camp starting, football season yeah. is so close. Do you feel it? Um, Sort of, outside of the fact that it's like 90 degrees and super muggy out. But I guess that plays with the idea of camp. Also, the one thing I will say is, and you kind of brought this up earlier, people are getting, like, angered by the idea of fall camp. Just don't be that pissed off about it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I'm not I'm pissed off. Fall... I do think it's I'm, funny, I, though. I know you're not, but there are a lot of people out there that are, so I'm going to make a bigger emphasis of calling it fall camp <laughs> to piss those people off. Yeah, I guess what's the alternative? I don't like preseason camp as much. Training camp is basically, I guess, the NFL owns that term, even though that's yeah. literally what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> All right. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Sun Saturday Irish. Thank you for listening or watching. If you decided yeah, to check subscribe. us out on YouTube, subscribe. Seriously, you're dead to me if you do not describe. It's on site. Yeah, and you know what? We also haven't gotten like a review on Apple Podcasts in like a while. So if you if you feel so inclined, just just do that because uh, maybe we'll start reading those again. Because I I don't know that we ever read any of them, but there's some out there. But it's been a while. The reviews, yeah, and I think you can review yeah. podcasts on Spotify now too. So oh, there you go. If you like us. If you like, took the time of your day to listen to us, just do us a favor and subscribe. And if you don't, again, you're dead to me. Uh, we're going to be back on a more regular basis going forward, doing at least one a week, uh, prying uh, up until the season officially starts, and we'll ramp it up even more. So give us a follow uh, at Sons of Set Irish on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay updated on all of our content and new episodes. And yeah, please, please subscribe. I can't stress that enough on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, everywhere. All right, that's enough from us. We'll talk to you guys again soon.